right, all right. Welcome back with another episode of Black Financial Initiative, BFI. As always, we try to bring you uh, some, some knowledge, some awareness, and inspire you guys. So today we have some good guests for you. Larry, go ahead and break it down for our people. All right. So we've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast, and we've noticed a lot of them are veterans, people who've served in the military. So Veterans Day is around the corner. We decided to do episode four to veterans and people even thinking about joining the military. So today we have James Bowman, the host of Gen Z Money. James, how are you doing today? Larry, Eric, Terrence, what's going on, guys? I am happy to be back. What's up? What's up, man? Hey, same thing, different day. Loving it. Right. Having a good day so far. Loving it. Loving it. Loving it. Yeah, I see you change your background. Tell us a little bit about the updates. Yeah, you know, you, you got to slowly upgrade. You know, you can't just go out, <laughs> spend thousands of dollars. So I did a little painting, did a little reorganizing just to, you know, I think it fits me a little bit better. Got the little Gen Z money thing, a little army member and stuff back there, but it's all good, man. And well, we dig it. I dig it. It's, it's, it looks good back there. Yeah, so to start off, uh, thank you for your service. Uh, Larry said, you know, it's we have a few veterans on a podcast. Uh, so to start it off, what branch did you serve in? So, Eric, I served in the United States Army active duty. All right. What so was, what is the uh, active duty? So active duty is essentially the way I like to see it is full time military. So the Army has two separate portions. They have or three. You have Army active duty. Army Reserves, and Army National Guard. And so active duty is where you're doing it every single day, day in, day out, Monday through Friday, like it's your full-time job. While reserves and part-time is primarily weekends, like one weekend a month and a couple weeks out of the year, you're going to do it. So the easiest way to break it down is active duty is full-time, reserves, and National Guard is part-time. Okay. Yeah. I never even really thought about it that way, but uh, you broke that down nice. Were you considering any other branches or was Army your, your go-to? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, man. I did. I, I looked at every branch. I've always been the guy to say, you know, I want to look at all the options on the table and then pick which was best for me. And so when I was doing my endeavors, Marines, I was like, eh, too, too hoo-ha for me, too fat, too high speed, we call it. <laughs> uh, Navy, I wasn't too big on being on boats for a really long time. So it was really between Army and Air Force. And the reason I picked the Army was simply because they let me pick my job. So I knew exactly when I signed my contract, Ooh. what I was going to be doing in the military. So that's why I chose the Army over the Air Force. Ooh, good deal. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't know so, you could, like knew your job like that. Yeah. So when you, you know, you take your ASVAB, which is their scoring to figure out what mm -hmm. jobs you qualify for. And then when you go into the recruiting office, they have a list of jobs. Say, okay, these are the, these are the spots that are open. You can either take one of these and leave on this date, or you can pick a job and just wait for that job to open up wherever it is. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. We had a friend who joined the military recently and he, and he was kind of telling us he was able to choose uh, the job that he that he was going to join. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm sure you have influence in other branches like the Navy, Air Force, Marines. I'm sure if they only have jobs you don't want, you can just say, no, I don't want to do it. Uh, I'm just not too familiar with it. I just I knew that the Army had the job I wanted when I wanted to go. And so it was kind of like a no brainer. <laughs> yeah, Was that something you always wanted to uh, to do? Like, were you as a kid, did you know that 
when you grew up, you wanted to join the army or join the military? Absolutely not, Terrence. I had <laughs> I, I was a troubled young man. Okay. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do after high school. I had no idea. My brother, he was in the army. He still is. And so I knew that that was an option. But again, I was a troubled guy. I was always getting in troubles, you know, had issues. So it wasn't really concrete until uh, I met my wife. And then I decided, like, okay, I got to get serious about this whole after high school thing. Otherwise, this chick is going to go find somebody, you know, who is serious about it. That's amazing. That's amazing. The act right sauce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're absolutely right, man. It's like you, you know, I had to, I had to, I had to figure something out, whether it was the military or something else. As cool, long cool. as I had a plan, then she was cool with it. <laughs> Good deal. Okay, so that that uh helps tie in what was gonna be my next question was <laughs> why you joined the military. <laughs> What's so it? We have our answer. Uh, one. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah well I, I would say that's like 80 to 85 percent of the reason well they, like I said I was a very troubled kid like I had no clue what I was doing I had no plan so really the military was kind of like okay I'm going to do this now until I figure out what I want to do so like why not what's the worst that can happen joining the military getting some hard skills that they're in hard training and, and learning discipline and all these life lessons, you know, why not? And then if I do that for three years and I get out, I'm 21 at the time. So I still have my whole life ahead of me to pivot or change or whatever. So, you know, it was, it was 85%. My wife was like, Hey, this is something really nice to do. And the other 15% was like, you know what, this is a good place to park until I figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Okay, well, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point that uh, and I guess would you recommend that for for people like if you just kind of don't know what you want to do, like you're troubled as you know yourself, just see yeah, what the I service would, has to offer. Yeah, I even though I'm not in the military anymore, I am never going to be the person to say nobody should ever join the military. It's a bunch of hoo ha, whatever. It didn't work out for me and my lifestyle. But that doesn't mean that I didn't learn tons and I didn't appreciate my time in. So mm -hmm. when I'm looking at especially those people who are in high school, I have a little brother who's graduating pretty soon. So this kind of hits home. I always say the military is one of the safest bets because you're going to get skills. You're going to get education. You're going to get benefits. You're going to get discipline. You're going to get comrades. You're going to know for your whole life. So that is one side compared to going to college and figuring out what you want to do, where you're spending money, you're partying, you're probably failing classes because you don't care. So it's like comparing it to other paths you can take. It's kind of a no brainer. So if you have absolutely no plan, you have absolutely no clue what you want to do. I think the military is a good place to park because you're 99.9% .9 of the time, you're going to come out a better person than when you went in. Great points right there. I guess tying into that, um, uh, what are some immediate and long-term financial benefits incentives for joining the military? That's a, that's a multi-layered question, Larry. So there are plenty of 
financial incentives for joining. Obviously, you're going to get paid. Now, if you're coming in, you're not married, you do not have a family, you're obviously not going to qualify for all of the financial incentives joining the military. But the first thing going in, you're going to be eligible for signing bonuses depending on where you fall in the job field and what they really need. You're also going to get healthcare benefits, which is, you know, healthcare can be a very scary thing, especially for 18 year olds. So having that covered is definitely incentive. I do not look over. The main thing though, that I really think is the best two main things are the GI bill and the VA home loan option. So we'll start with the GI Bill, which I think is the biggest return on investment you'll ever get from the military. Essentially, it is free college up to a dollar amount. So you get to go to college for free. They pay you. They pay you a monthly stipend. You get an education and you can start your career. And seeing this current student loan debacle, guys, you know, going to school for free is a pretty, pretty big benefit. So that's the number one thing I think the return on investment is infinite. If you're able to go to school, not have student loans, get a skill, get a a pretty decent salary, it's going to return years and years and years and years. So that is the biggest benefit I've seen up to this point. But the second biggest long-term financial benefit is the VA home loan program. And this is a program where you can buy a home with 0% down and not pay PMI. So it's a great start to your wealth building journey because we know home ownership is one of the biggest wealth builders in America. Very true, very true. Well, look who decided to show up. Dragging myself in there. I was, <laughs> oh, I was goofing off on some other podcasts, just recording, looking around like, what the fuck is today? <laughs> like, today? Like, not, to, oh, not me. Not me. Hey, man. Come, come on, you military background. You guys. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, what's up, man? Right uh, Reese was like, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Marines don't be liking that though. We we hate each other when we mess up. We like mm. <laughs> not my guy, not my guy, not in my not, a, not as squared away as Army once, right? You know, <laughs> not, yeah, not in my I Marine see, Corps. <laughs> they start saying stuff like that. Not in my Marine Corps. Like, <laughs> I see now James ripping the Army pretty well. Like, okay, yeah, man. If you're not in there, with, hey, 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 he wants to come in with the with the the the. The special bonuses, the the money, the flash. Nah, Marines <laughs> come in with the the truth. We want to come in. We, we want a lot of lies to go first. So we come oh, in <laughs> then y'all gonna come in late. Man, we, <laughs> hey, we gotta, we gotta smooth it out to explain the stuff. Oh man. Okay, <laughs> I see. So there's method to the madness. You you wanted to come in after James so you can explain. Yeah, uh, the madness. We didn't, I didn't want to even listen to the the craziness. <laughs> I just wanted to step out. I'm like, Mm-mm, not today. Yeah. So for all of our listeners, we have Lawrence, the neighborhood finance guy who who served us well. So uh, Lawrence, go back a little bit. What uh, what branch did you serve in? I served in the uh, the illustrious, the never <laughs> never failed. You know, hey, we salute upright because we're hey, part of the United States Marine Corps, the best of the best. <laughs> the latest, the best, the best of the Navy. <laughs> that's, about, that's about it you know what i'll take that i'll take that i'll take that <laughs> it's, it's uh, some facts. Uh, what was uh what was your reason for joining the military 
I joined because it was, I was the Marines the only one you considered. Well, I joined the Marine Corps because I watched one too many cartoons growing up. I grew up in the 80s, so we watched a whole bunch of that G.I. Joe's. So we thought everybody just gets dressed. <laughs> everybody had a specific skill. Everybody had a specific car that they get into. And also, we, there was a commercial uh, that the Marines used to play during those type of cartoons where this guy slayed the dragon. That was like a big deal. So when we finally sat down and talked to each other. What got you here? He's like, hey, we, I saw this, this commercial. I'm like, ah, that commercial. Yeah, that's the commercial. We had the knife. We sliced everybody. Yeah, that's the sword. Yeah, we got that. I'm like, okay. That's how we you got might have to tell You might have to tell James about the cartoon G.I. Joe's. He, he, he probably wasn't alive when it was out. Oh, my so. goodness. <laughs> hey, hold on now. Hold on now. <laughs> I remember G.I. Joe. Oh, everybody right. had a special skill. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. But that's that's not something that got us in there as far as the idea of something difficult. When the recruiter showed up to my high school, he kind of like made it seem like this is the toughest thing you ever done in your life. And I, I grew up poor. I'm like, the worst thing could happen than being poor, bro. Like, whatever you're talking about. He's like, and then he also promised me three square meals a day. And I was like, you know what? Sign me up. That's it. So if anybody asks me why I joined, I joined for food, three square meals a day. I'm like, yo, that sounds really good. But the Marines, especially in boot camp, we only given less than a minute to eat. So that was the caveat. They always give you like the twist. Like, yeah, they get you with the food, but you only got a minute to eat it. I'm like, God dang it. Set me up. Oh, goodness. Yeah. See, like, hey, James didn't have that kind of story. He ain't no real guy. Hey, look, I say, I say. <laughs> they they were giving cell phones. They had we cell had... phones. They had timeouts, mental timeouts. <laughs> it was cute. It's cute. I wish, man. I will say that that's what they're doing nowadays. Not when I went through, but yeah, you had definitely... some stress cards. I heard about your stress cards. That's I, I heard that's I'm what have, they're doing nowadays. I'm, ha I'm having a bad time. I just want to stop. <laughs> hey, hey. James said, I'm still a real one. Yeah, yeah, I, I made the cut, Lawrence. You might not believe it. Hey, I, I I'm, I, you know, I'm like, I'm, hey, I'm not mad at you, but I heard about the stress cards, and I it questioned my my very soul. <laughs> I got stress cards. I questioned it too. I was like, why could we ain't get stress cards, man? Like, how, who, who the hell like, made oh, this? I, I got to call my parents in the in the weekends, like the weekends. <laughs> we got those too. <laughs> Hold up, y'all got to explain what's the stress card. So my understanding of the stress card was essentially in basic training, if you got too stressed as a recruit, you could pull out this nice highlighter card to say, hey, I'm stressed out. I need you uh -huh. to leave me alone. Now, I don't know. Now, now I didn't have it. I know I never saw anybody with them, so I don't know how true it is. It could be a whole hoax, but that's essentially what it was <laughs> explained to me. Yeah, I think, you know, you're right. I don't know if it's actually a true thing as much more that there are some recruits that would call the, you know, call out like when they feel like a little too stressed out and they think that they're going to get some level of reprieve. In the Marine Corps, we give no such <laughs> shelter to anybody. Like, what? If you feel stressed out, who the hell cares? We're going to give you even more hazing. That's what's up. We're going to see what's up with you. So I think there's a difference between how the Marines uh, operated in the long run. Yeah, I said we had one stress-free time a week and that was during church on sunday that's about that hour to an hour and a half is the only time you go get some rest because as soon as you come out of the church buddy it's we rolling again man so. oh, yeah uh lawrence uh what uh we were just talking to james oh james yeah, i guess you can continue your thought on like the some of the immediate and long-term financial benefits and incentives of joining them. i know you left off on the, the va loans you said like no pmi yeah, yeah. So the VA home loan, I think, is the second biggest benefit of being a veteran or even being in the military. Um, 
because you can purchase a home with 0% down, you have no mortgage insurance, and you're going to get the most favorable rate on that mortgage. And so we all know that home ownership is a super duper important wealth builder. You know, here in the United States, homes are more likely than not appreciating in most areas. So that is a, I think that is one of the base kind of stepping stones in order to build a family and truly building generational wealth because a home you can pass on, not an education from or a degree from a classroom. Right, I guess uh, Lawrence. Well, yeah, what I about mean, you, James? Was that was that it? Is it time for Lawrence to uh, come in and, and smooth over everything? And then, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Lawrence can tell us about you know the the food he took from the Marines and the MREs they gave him. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. So I got in right after or right before September 11th. So that's how old I am. I got in right before. That means I was actually in boot camp during September 11th. And when it actually it hit, it was the same day that we did our rifle, um, might have been like a drill uh, evaluation or even our rifle evaluation. We got the, the, the highest marks for all the people that were there. And then by the time we got back to the barracks, I thought for, you know, we were getting presented like a, a gift, right? It was supposed to be like something nice. I'm like, oh, they're rolling out like that, the, the TV on top of VCR. So I'm maybe going to get to watch a movie. It turned, and then he's playing this thing and he's like, yo, man, I got something to show you guys. I'm like, all right, cool. He showed it to us. We just think it's the movie that he started right, right in the middle of the movie. Then he's like, oh, you guys are going to war. I'm like, okay. And it was actually better for us because boot camp for the Marines is so tough that you look around like, you know what? I'd rather die. I'd rather go to whatever this uh, war is, put me in because it'd probably be better because, hey, you're going to get that free food, maybe. And then maybe you, you get to shoot somebody and maybe you die. Who knows? It's better than boot camp right now. Let's go. So that's how I felt about it. But afterwards, I think the, the thing that I learned from the Marines is that you have to be more resourceful with your time, with your, uh, and more intense, uh, intentful with what you do. So if you, it is, if you want to build wealth or if you want to kind of change your financial perspective, you got to dig deeper and you got to hold yourself accountable. You can't just blame everybody else all the time for it. You can't just kind of set it up where, well, somebody else did it to me. Somebody else is against me. Somebody else is a faster runner, has more money, bigger, stronger, faster. No, in the Marine Corps, we're taught that at the base level, you can actually impact something. You can actually do something. So for us, when it comes to this idea of building wealth, it's an internal kind of uh, narrative that kicks in to say what can be done. And one of the things that can be done is to basically buy into a home. Well, I'm going to add on to what Lawrence just said while he gets his thing situated. He, he hit on something that's really, really important, which is a mass lesson of the military, which is accountability. You know, you having control of every single thing you do and essentially every single outcome that comes. And this goes from rifle training. If you miss the target, there is no, oh, the wind got it. Oh, I got bit by an ant. Like, no, you have control over yourself. You have control over your rifle. You control where the bullet goes. If you're on an obstacle course and you fall off an obstacle, you know, you can't say, oh, this person, you know, bothered me or whatever. It's like, no, take accountability. You let go. You did this unsafe or whatever the case is. And it focuses less on why you failed and more on fixing the reason you failed. Like, okay, I made this mistake. I can control this and I'm going to do that. So I think that accountability that Lawrence mentioned is super duper important, especially when it comes to wealth building. You go from the mindset of, oh, well, I can't get rich because this person or that person or my boss is a, a 
but or whatever the case is and say, okay, no, I control where I work. I control how I see work and I control where I go from here and where my money goes from here. So it definitely seems like the military definitely gives you all or creates a great mindset of, like you said, accountability, like making you work through it and putting the blame more so on yourself than I guess other factors that are around. Yeah. And you can acknowledge, like I can acknowledge like, okay, this ant bit me, screw this ant, but I'm not going to let it control X, Y, and Z. So mm-hmm. it's one thing to acknowledge like, okay, I don't come from a family with, with much wealth, or I don't come with a family with much opportunity. You can acknowledge it, but now move on. How are we going to fix this solution going forward? Mm-hmm. What is the solution to the problem I have? Yeah, it's the whole idea of what, so what, and now what. <laughs> the idea is like, it's already happened to you. It's already happening. And we, and that's a part of it too. We always acknowledge that there's an environmental um, aspect to this. Like there's always something else going on, but what are you doing to impact that change? What what are you going to do to change up who you are and what can you improve on? Because it's not always about like somebody else. It's just like some things like, hey, do I need to just go walking around the block in order to help my own um, health? Do I need to, you know, do a better job budgeting? Do I need to maybe invest a little bit more time, understand where my money is going up and down the, the stream? Like all of these things are things you can do and that could actually help you. I love what y'all are saying. And, it, and for some people, it might be controversial. Um, a lot of people will say, well, you're, you're what do they call it? Boot, bootstrap, pulling up your boot, bootstrap, something like that. There's no, nothing, pro- and it's weird. It's a weird statement to make because anytime that you decide to change yourself or you know, better yourself, it's like you're, you're picking yourself up by your bootstrap. I'm like, and, and that's how, that's wrong how, really. One is very <laughs> odd. Like it's a, it's an odd thing to say, but maybe because I grew up overseas and I got here and I heard those statements and I talked to myself like, that's a weird way to say because everybody has to lace off their, their shoes before you start walking somewhere. <laughs> anyway, so it's almost like you're telling people not to do the, the very thing that would help them. It's like, oh, you speaking white. Like, I'm speaking what? <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, is it, oh, oh, you're getting, oh, are you trying to be a nerd? You're trying, oh, you think you're too smart? I'm like, am, am I supposed to be too dumb? Like, what? <laughs> like, it's always like this odd, is you have to challenge that narrative within yourself to say like, yes, you do have to pick yourself up. You do have to wake up in the morning and it shouldn't be controversial. It's the complete opposite. This is what everybody right. that's successful, this is what they do. Anytime that you talk to a person like LeBron, you think he doesn't lace off his tennis shoes like as if he's not doing something. Like, <laughs> like, like he doesn't go practice. Like he doesn't really kind of like be at the gym. Like people are doing things to improve themselves and that should not be controversial at all. Totally agree. 100% agree. And I think, uh, I think a lot of times they would, I guess, or especially like, let's say LeBron, like we don't see all the before at work, after our work. It's like we just see him playing the game and just believe like, oh, yeah, he just woke up and <laughs> he was amazing. You know, like I'm pretty sure he dedicates crazy amount of time and money to his body, to working out all these different things. It's like, you know, we just don't get to see that. Oh, you, you say know? he he spent like a like a. I know there's a number at some point it came out. I know it's like a million dollars as, as million much dollars. every year, every yeah. year. Or so just to keep keep himself like uh, in tip top condition. A lot of these superstars and these athletes, that's what they do. They're not mm-hmm. like they're putting in the work. They're putting quote unquote that bootstrap, whatever it is. Maybe somebody else is tying it up for them. But at the end of the day, they're putting <laughs> this thing on because they got to put in the work. We have to be able to put in that work. Mm-hmm. You know, the great thing about this conversation that I really want to hit on is that 
when whenever you have an outsider looking in on your situation and the things, the decisions you're making and the things you're going through, they never have the full story. They never see the full picture. Whoa. They only see the front. And so I saw this story. Um, I heard the story like a week ago about essentially the Navy SEALs had this CS gas training or tear gas training. And essentially the media got a hold of this footage where they're choking or whatever. And they there's an uproar like, oh, you shouldn't be treating our veterans like this. You shouldn't be treating our service members like this. You know, this is harsh. This is cruel. This is whatever. And I'm, and I'm trying to think to myself, like, would you rather be trained like this? Or would you rather encounter this out in another country? Like what we do, there's a reason behind right. everything we do, whether it's in the military, whether it's LeBron James or it's the Warriors training staff, there's a reason that they do everything they do. And so for people looking on the outside in, they don't have to understand why you're doing the things they do. Um, I think people need to get out of that area where they think everybody needs to understand and agree with what they're doing. Because when you start budgeting, when you start saving, when you start saying no to going to clubs or no to the bigger and better car, people are not going to understand why you're saying no. They don't have to understand why you're saying no. You have a plan and you have a reason behind it and you need to stick to it regardless of what other people think. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point, like it's doing those things, it's not always pretty. You know, probably seeing those people choke or whatever, you know, that's, that's not a pretty sight. But like you said, would you rather encounter that here or our first time is in the field out there? You know, it's it's not always pretty how those things go down, but they're necessary. Yeah. That's and, how I look at it. Yeah. And when you think about it from a bird's eye view, OK, well, what are you getting out of this experiment? OK, you're understanding what it feels like to be tear gassed. You're understanding how your equipment can work when you are being tear gassed, what you should be doing. You're mm -hmm. learning, you know, how can you function when you are tear gassed? You're learning all of these things that now when you encounter it somewhere else, you know, okay, when I felt this way, this is what I did, or this is what I should not do. I probably should not rub my eyes or whatever that case is. And so again, and it goes back to LeBron James, like LeBron, why are you doing one-handed pushups? Well, well, that's stupid. Like, no, there's a reason for this. You don't have to understand that reason. And yeah, it might look dumb. It might look unnecessary, but you're not the one that has to do it. Yeah, I think I've seen that on, on Instagram recently, like a football player, like a real, you know, conditioned football players workout regimen. You look like, man, this thing is, you know, kinetic sports jumping in the air, doing all this stuff like this thing is painful <laughs> as heck. And you could tell that is, this is a, a grueling exercise, just like the CS guys. Like I've been in it. I don't necessarily like it at all, but it's something that you need to learn and you need to understand from. I think we move away from challenges and we try to make life too easy. And because we're trying to make life too easy, we don't we don't grow anymore. We don't go anywhere. We're always trying to avoid the things that we're that are good for us for some reason. And, and in, in essence, we're supposed to run towards them and instead of doing. I, I guess it was like a good quote. I don't know where I heard that one from. Is like the, the the cows themselves they slowly move away from the storm, whereas the buffaloes kind of run into the storm because the cow itself is only prolonging the, the actual storm that's actually coming. It's prolonging the problem, and they're walking into it as the storm kind of keeps going. Whereas the buffalo, as stupid and irrational that is, they run right through it because it's going to actually last um, shorter because they're running that away. So it always depends on who you are, but I think you're probably better off taking on challenges so you can move forward in life versus actually like, you know, falling apart and trying to avoid them. You know, there's a saying that I heard very recently, and I'm going to say it absolutely changed my outlook on this life, this whole culture that we have today. And the saying is hard times create strong men, 
Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. And it goes Ooh. back to this whole Man. view Ooh. on the military where it's like, these are people who are trying to get stronger. They should not be coddled. They should not be uh, comfortable all the time. They should not have a stress card saying, hey, look, you know, I'm stressed out. No, they need to be made tougher to keep good times. If we make a weak military, which in my opinion might be controversial, we are making a weaker military, bad times are going to follow. And so the only thing that kept us in these good times is having strong men and women serving in the military, very strong willpower, and a strong community backing up those strong men and women. So sorry, guys, I don't mean to go on my soapbox. No, that's a, that's a great it's, quote. It's the army soapbox, though. It's the army soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've heard that and going back into the into the service, I've heard that if you have your bachelor's degree, then you go into the service, you come in as an officer. Is that true or correct? I don't know. I don't even know if it's just a bachelor, if it's an associate degree. Like, is that? It depends. It depends how you want to come into it. Because it's helpful, I guess. It, it is helpful, obviously, because there's different uh, grades in which you get paid for, for the enlisted, the general enlisted. That means you're coming out of high school. You're just getting into the services. You There's a certain pay scale that you go into, and that's typically mm-hmm. lower than the officer pay scale. The officers are, oh. are thinking, think about them as our leadership class. That's like your varsity team or something like that, where you have the, the junior team and then you got the varsity team. Doesn't mean that they're better. It just means that they they are leading the group or they're the smaller cadre of people that actually leads everybody else. So if you're coming from college with a bachelor's degree, you can choose, I think, you to, to either be enlisted or you can choose to try to go for the officer side. And it doesn't mean that it's guaranteed. You still have to go through boot camp or your version of boot camp, whatever that is. And you still got to make it through. So it's not like, hey, I just wanted this and therefore I am. You right. still have to kind of learn some of those details. But for enlisted people, nine times out of 10, you've already you've been there longer. So you could have like a gunnery sergeant or master sergeant that's been there for a good 15, 20 years taking orders for somebody that just been there for like a good three years as an officer. So Ooh. it's possible. It's just not it doesn't mean that they supersede. You know, like in my opinion, at least in the Marine Corps, like we have officers, but they don't necessarily supersede the person that has 20 years experience. We will listen to the officer because it's just what we do. It's just that our structure mm-hmm. and how it works. But if it pushes them to shove between the officer and the master sergeant or something like that, we know what the differences are. And I think that's what we get <laughs> in the Marine Corps. We're like, hey, you, you know what it is. Yeah, you, it's, you look at this other person as they're the part of leadership. That's fine. But you always look at um, experience first. You always dictate that. And we, we, we get that, that one. You, you're like, mm, if, my, if my leadership give that look, and we're like, mm, I don't know. I can't trust this guy. Because <laughs> like, officers could change out more than actual um, enlisted as well. You find officers change duties, duty stations. Uh-huh. and end up in different locations versus where you have like that person enlisted they've been there for a very long time think about like your staff at, at a job or something like that at least that's my interpretation maybe james you mm-hmm. could kind of explain it better yeah so you know with my time in the military uh i think what makes the best officer the, what makes the best leader is a leader who can listen who can comprehend and who can take advice the leaders that come in because the way it worked at least in our platoon and our battalion and all that, um, every officer had kind of an advisor or a, I call it a mentor. So for example, our Lieutenant would, who would maybe have 
six months or let's just say a year of experience, they'd be teamed up with a staff sergeant or a sergeant first class who has 10, 12, 15 years of experience. So although our lieutenant is the leader, they are the decision maker. Most of their advice, most of their experience-based advice comes from their advisor, which is that staff sergeant, that sergeant first class, or even first sergeants and commanders. So I really think it is a team aspect that makes the best. If you have somebody who comes in, they think they know it all, your first sergeant or your, your whoever that senior enlisted person is, they're going to be the one to say, hey, you need to sit down. This is not how it's done. This is how it's done. And it is on that officer to be able to digest and um, maybe bring an outside, outside experience, but that officer is still the final decision maker. But I don't think that officers alone are as efficient if they do not have any advisor or any experience backing their decisions. I'm going to add one more thing to that from a historical standpoint. The officer class themselves were part of the nobility. Basically, they're the, if there was such a thing, or at least in this day and age, you'd have the working class and maybe even some of the middle class would represent majority of the enlisted. And the upper class, well, I mean upper class, people that you know come in from families that really make a, a ton of money, they'll naturally falter into the nobility. Uh, and that nobility would also fall into the officer class. That's why when you see in old war movies, you see like the, the people on the horses, they, they stand all the way back. Those were the, the officer class. And then you have everybody else that's on the field fighting and battling, they ended up being just the, the enlisted. The enlisted are moved around like pawns. That's why you get the whole chess, you know, ideology behind that. They're moving around all over the place. Whereas the officer class are the ones doing the strategy or they're supposed to be the ones doing the strategy side. They understand the grand overarching macro scheme of how the world is functioning and maybe to um, um, some level of political, you know, understanding as well. Whereas the enlisted, your, your, your working class, your, your complete like, hey, they're all in, they understand everything to do on the ground. They're, they're the one that actually going to interact some of these plans that the, the officer class come, comes up with. To Jane's point, they do have advisories and they do listen to uh, the experienced members of the enlisted class, but typically they're supposed to be the ones that understand the grand, greater strategy behind everything as well. Yeah. And then I'll go ahead. got really deep for no reason. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask based off of that, do you guys see any parallels between that structure and and corporate? Absolutely. What I what I related to, which I didn't even realize that they did this in the civilian world. But people who let's just say you work at McDonald's and let's say you're a cashier at McDonald's. And then all of a sudden that instead of promoting you to manager, now they hire outside management and management comes in and they have no clue what is going on. They have they're absolutely clueless. They've never been on a register, never been on fries, never flipped a burger, nothing. But they are good at managing people. That is their skill. For the employee, it looks like, okay, wait a minute. You guys are, I know more. I know how to run a register. I know how to do fries. I know how to flip a burger. I don't know how to manage people. And this person knows none of that stuff, but they know how to manage people. Why are they getting paid more than me? It's the same thing with an officer where it's like they're coming in and they might not know anything about your job, but they understand how to manage people. They know they understand how to develop high scheme plans while you know how to, you know, take apart a Humvee and put it back together. And so although their skill set is different, 
most of the time it justifies the difference in leadership structure. And so that's where that respect level comes from. And I'm sure they do the same thing in corporate America where they'll bring in this, somebody who's been a CEO of another company. They'll just, instead of, um, instead of promoting internally, they'll bring in somebody who has experience with that from another company and bring them in. And they might not know anything about, you know, changing a tire on a car, but they know how to manage people. They know how to do payroll. They know how to do all these high productive internal skills of a, of a business. Yeah, I definitely double down on that as well. Anytime that you hear CEO, CFO, COO, think about them as officers. They're generally officers and that's what their rank is. is. And majority of the time they do come with a different skill set. And sometimes that skill set could scale up a business into, let's say if you're a, a business making a million dollars, a good CEO could come in and that scales up the business 5x. And even though the, the person has been working there for 10 years, 15 years, they do have a, um, a skill set. They do know what they're doing at the, um, the ground level. And it's, it is important, but there's also another skill set that can really push all the business all the way to the next level as well. So it depends. Not every CEO that comes in will be a great CEO. Not every officer that comes in will be a great officer, but it comes down to the what you learn along the way. Also, the, the um, mentorship, how you get mentored or how you receive information. Now you make that information work for you. So it, it seems unfair for some people at, um, at different levels. But if you could make, you know, scale a business 5x, it's different from making, you know, flipping five extra burgers or um, in that day when I used to work at McDonald's, like it's different <laughs> from like, yo, know, flipping like 200 more burgers versus a person bringing in an additional 10, 40, 50 grand based off how they kind of structure the business differently. Oh, yeah. Big differences there. Like you said, uh, you know, somebody that can flip 200 burgers or whatever it is, but uh, a good officer, a good manager is going to be able to uh, put other people in those positions to flip another 200 burgers. Instead of having just that one person uh, flip 200, I'm, I'm going to have a team that can do 200, you know, but uh, I have another question based off of you guys experience in the military. So are there any misconceptions or stereotypes that come with uh, being a black veteran? Being a black veteran, um, I guess this first stereotypes is actually comes from my own community. A lot of times in a 10, we're told that, you know, these guys are violent. These guys are, you know, they have issues, emotional trauma, so on and so forth. But then they run into me. It's like, hey, you weren't in the military. You weren't in the Marine Corps. They'll tell me stuff like that. I'm looking at them like, I was. I was also a sergeant. I was also up there in, in, in rank. I could have been a staff sergeant. I could have been a gunnery sergeant. It's not that hard. But it's not as... Um, cut and paste as we might perceive it to be. There's just some people that are not really, they don't do well. Those people are just very aggressive people and you find them in society at a, as a whole. So if you're getting people from society and you, you're training them into the military, you're gonna still find remnants of what? Society from them. So they're not like this other class of people that you got out of nowhere. They're just the same people. And there's, those people are going through the same issues as everybody else in society. So the black veterans themselves, sometimes I, I guess the only, the, there's one movie, I forget the name of it now, but I could still see the face paint. <laughs> like a lot of black veterans back in the day were um, not given um, their VA home loans. President. Huh? Yeah, that president. Yeah, there it is. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> like it, a lot of people, black veterans ended up um, getting into, I guess, in, based on that movie as well, into drugs and stuff like that, or even substance abuse, would probably be the better word for it. 
And we see that a lot, but it's not the entirety. There's a whole bunch of Black veterans that, that milk the system for what it's worth. They are, they got the VA home loans, they got jobs, they got multiple pensions, pensions, they have multiple homes, and they also put in their kids through school as well. So there's more Black veterans doing that than we find a Black veteran that's also, you know, basically on, down on hard times. So there's something to be said about those myths and those misconceptions, and I'll pass it over. So I couldn't think of any myths or I could only think of really one myth or stereotype that as a black veteran, what I've experienced, which is like when you tell people like, yeah, I was in the army for X amount of time. Instantly think, oh, yeah, he a fed. He's he, he a snitch. Don't tell him nothing because, you know, hey, look, he worked for Uncle Sam. And I kind of have to remind people like, look, I'm just a I'm just a normal human being. I might do some things illegal like you. I might not, you know, I try to stay out of trouble. I haven't gotten caught with anything. And so I, was like, I have to remind people like, listen, I'm a normal human. At the end of the day, the military was a job for me. And I went in and I did my job and I got out. But really where I see the misconceptions is the stereotypes is what at least my, the black community surrounds me, what they think about the military and the misconceptions they have about the military. And so, you know, things like, we're treated like trash and which is why like they say, Oh, the reason you got out is because they treat black people like trash. And for me, with my experience, I'm not going to sit here and say there are no racist people in the military. I'm not going to sit here and say nobody is mistreated, but I'm going to say for me, I had nothing but support from the people who are around me in the military, black, white, Asian, the bond that you're able to build with people in the military. It, 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 I hate to, I hate the little saying like, oh, I don't see color, but really though, like you're all in the uniform. And so that idea surpasses like, oh, that's a black service member. That's an Asian service member. Yeah. We're going to stereotype each other. I might make some Asian jokes. They might make some fried chicken jokes to me, but we know at the end of the day, if we go to the line, like he's got my back, I got his back and we transcend all of that. It, and it's a part of the camaraderie. It's a part of the experience and in, in the bonds you build the next thing you hear oh everybody in the military all the higher-ups are racist again i didn't experience that i had black commanders i had black first sergeants i had black battalion commanders you know when you see people in these high ranks the last thing i think is like oh they're racist they don't want black people to get up there i just see like you know that's admirable I know that it's possible. And I personally had no problem climbing the ranks. I did the right thing when I needed to. I made the right people happy. I did my job to the best of my ability and it helped my career progress. So I never had to experience any of that uh, racism or bias. And then the last thing that I hear, for, at least from my Black community surrounding me and where I come from is like, oh, no, nah, the reason I ain't gonna join the military is because ain't nobody gonna get in my face to tell me nothing. It's like, yeah, bro, like, yeah, okay. You're going to punch a drill sergeant in the face. It's like, you're completely missing the point. Like, their their job is to tear you down and build you back up. So all of that false bravado you have, they're going to push it out of you, and they're going to build you a better person. You need to go in there and receive it instead of trying to fight it every step of the way. Because at the end of the day, the Army is going to roll along. The Marines are going to roll along. They have standards, and it's – not their job to change their standards to fit you in. It's your job to change yourself to fit within those standards. Oh, some people really try to fight too. Like, oh, some one guy, he's like, I'm gonna leave. I'm like, the drill instructor is like, hey, go ahead, try. 
there's nothing but swamp around us. So it's like, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? You, like, I love the fact that you called it false bravado because that's what it is. A lot of people act tough. They act really big, bad, or whatever it is. But he, when push comes to shove, they just don't got it. They don't got the gumption. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can actually stare at themselves and really kind of find, um, I guess, moral courage and even a real fortitude to say, you know what, I'm wrong. And when somebody's yelling at you and you have to almost like internally take it, you got to like process that. And I I don't think a lot of us get a chance to, especially out there in the public. So a lot of us typically lash out. We we fight other people. But in in essence, you're supposed to take it a little bit deeper as a man and really interpret information differently and try to grow and try to change. And to your point, James, you know, nailed it on the head. All of it is really an exercise of changing yourself. Like all the exercises that you're doing, all the like lifting logs, all the running down this, that, and the third is to change you physically. All the the stress that they impart on you, like not eating here and there and doing all these different um, obstacles, evolutions, all of these things were to change you mentally. So in the end of the day, when push comes to shove, when challenges are hit and when when it's down to the wire, you're not going to be a person that breaks and falters. And I think that's what I learned from there. And I think that's what a lot of people they all say to me, it's like, oh yeah, you know, hey, you're supposed to be strict. You're supposed to not have a good time. Like we have a great time and we love to crack jokes on each other. Like if it's, it's, it's just racially insensitive. We, we use that joke before we use it. again. <laughs> like, we will use it again. If, if somebody is gay, we, hey, we made fun of that too. And they made fun of that, you know, back, back at us as well. It's all love in the end of the day, because when push comes to shove, when we need to do something together, we do it together. And that's what the family is. I've been in spaces where, um, after New Orleans, the Katrina thing hit, we were at the airport, Slidell Airport, we were hanging around. And then somewhere down the line, there was a, there was a truck, he was going too fast, he flipped. By the time he flipped, you, I, I saw nothing but a whole gaggle of Marines running that way to go help that car. Everybody didn't hesitate to go jump into action. And that's the type of group that you, you're living in. In this society, we find that, hey, people will whip out a cell phone and they'll record, but this is not how the military mm-hmm. functions. We do not just whip out a cell phone. We go actually put ourselves in danger. And I think that's a misconception about who we are. We really are about protecting people. Like if push on the shove, we'll jump in front of a bullet, whatever it is, we'll do what it takes to help people. And I think a lot of people miss that. And they think that we're doing it because of some political side. No, we're not doing it for that. We actually love people and that's what we do it for. Yeah, and I, you hit it right on the head, Lawrence. And I'm sure we all have friends like i have white friends that they crack black jokes to me like i'm i'm like haha very funny and i'm gonna crack jokes back right and there's no offense but let's say somebody online that i don't know cracks a black joke and and all of a sudden i want to get offended well it that's essentially how the military is it's like yeah i know this guy might make some racially insensitive jokes or might talk about my sexuality or whatever the case is But I also know when the bullets start flying or when shit hits the fan, he's going to be the one right on my back watching my six or or, or busting down doors with me. He's going to be the one that acts when nobody else will. And so it goes back to that friendship aspect is where we all have friends that, you know, you can push the envelope with each other. You're not going to get offensive. Everybody who wears the uniform with you is that buddy. You can meet them for five minutes, feel each other out. And you know, like the bond you guys have when 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 stuff starts going, y'all are going to have each other's back like you've known each other for a lifetime. And that is exactly the whole point of instilling that, especially in basic training. Like if you go to basic training, you think you're not going to fail. 
boy, do you have another thing coming. You're going to fail everything. If you say, oh, I could do 100 push-ups. Well, guess what? They're going to make you do 110. And you're going to fail. They're going to push you until you <laughs> fail. You might be able to do 300 pull-ups. They're going to make you do 310. They're going to make you fail. They're going to tear you down. And the only people you're going to have to look to is the people on your left and your right to bring you back up. And so once that's built, there's nothing that somebody can say that's going to destroy that. And so, yeah, I just, I think it, it goes back to that outside is looking in. They don't understand the camaraderie. They don't understand the things you guys go through with each other. And so it's very, very easy to cast a shadow to say these are all evil people. But really, they just they're evil people that love each other too much. <laughs> right. Well, uh, well said from both of you guys. Yeah. So, so you got going to join? You got to join now? I don't know. Um. So uh, going on, so how does the military pay work? Do the pay raises very, uh, very greatly on rank? So we'll start with you the, could go yeah, with the army one. That's more the general one. The Marine Corps is a little bit different. Not in, a, not in a, like, like negatory way. It's like it's literally a different structure a little bit from like the army, navy and the air force. OK, I might learn some from you, Lawrence. So the way the army works, um, there's three. We're going to call them three main pay types and then we're going to say other so let's call it four there's your basic allowance uh, i'm sorry there's your basic salary which is based purely on rank and time and service then there's your basic allowance for housing which also varies based on rank and region where you live and then there is your basic allowance for food which again is based on where you live not cool. rank and so your base salary, as you get promoted, your base salary will go up. And the military is completely transparent on this. You can just Google 2023 pay scale. and It's going to have every single rank. It's going to have every single experience level, how many years you have in the service. And then it's going to have how much you pay. And that is how much you make base. They're also very transparent about your housing allowance. You can simply Google basic housing allowance 2023, you can type in the zip code you live and what rank you are. And it's going to tell you exactly how much they make per month based on the area you live in. And, you know, it's not going to be the same here in Georgia as it is in California. It's going to be much higher in California because the uh, living expenses are higher. And then the basic allowance for food, essentially, I think it's the same nationwide and they add in a little extra called COLA depending on where you live. But those are the three main pay types you're going to see every single month on your leave and earning statement, your pay stub. And then you'll have other if you're deployed or if you're in a hazardous duty or all these other add-ons and you'll get those or even bonuses are others that you'll get periodically throughout the military. And it changes every single year. Yeah, I think uh, you covered that um, remarkably well. I think there's different ways that you get paid, but ultimately it's basically, I guess when people talk about quote unquote socialism, I'm like, yeah, that's basically the military. <laughs> that's what we got. Like if you're in whatever uh, rank, if you're in the same rank and also in the uh, different uh, industry, let's say if you're in uh, an armor, if you're a um, anti-terrorism, you're a tanker, you're a cook, whatever it is in the same type of like, if you're an E1, or E2, you're basically in the same amount of year, you're going to be getting paid the same. That's it. No matter what the, the classification is, I don't care if you are a data scientist. I don't care if you're HR in the military. If you're e, uh, E3, you're going to be getting paid the exact same amount, depending on the year. 
But uh, I think the difference comes in regards to how you get promoted between the ranks and how you can get demoted as well. I'm gonna start with a demoted. So that's the, the easiest one. So if you're out here messing up, you could go from an E7 down to E3 or E1 all over again. You basically, they, they rank you all the way back down. You, if, you, if it was a levels up of like this elevator, you're going up, like I'm an E5 and I'm doing well and they, they catch you doing some crazy stuff. You could go all the way down to E1. So you could be like, for example, I'm looking at this. If they just e, skip a step. They just take you all the way. Oh, all the yeah. way, baby. Yeah, Do not pass. Way, <laughs> not collect $200. I'm going to call baby. it right here. I'm looking at this here. Jail. Oh, e7, uh, E7 making or um, at three years or more, whatever it is, making around like $4,000, I guess it's per month on this thing. Or is it per, um, per week? It's per week? or per Probably month? per month. Per month. Oh, so you're making like $4,000 per month. You could de get demoted all the way down to E1 and you'll be making $2,000 per month. They don't play that game with you. Like if you're going to mess up, we got different rules for you. You're going to get the civilian rules and you're going to get the military. Uh, they're going to get you on the military side as well. And the military is not messing up with your entire life. So you could be, you know, up there making five grand, go all the way back down to making two grand. Just like that. Just on that one mistake. So for the way we get promoted, especially in the Marine Corps, we have boot camp. Everybody starts out at E1. So there's, I guess there's three things too. There's the enlisted, there's the warrant officers, and then there's the pure officers. Warrant officers are, are very odd. There's like a that odd, odd shoot that you can become. But ultimately, the two one that we just talked about, the enlisted and the officers, you know the officers right out of the school, they get paid a lot more. It's different for them. The, e, the enlisted side, right, they're going from different ranks and also different uh, years that you've been in. So as, as you grow into the years, if you don't get promoted to the next level, you can also still get a pay raise based off the amount of years you got in, depending on where you are, right? So for the Marine Corps, you start off boot camp, everybody's an E1, generally, unless you come in as an E2. E1 means you're a private. You're at the very bottom level. You got about six months of that. Like you literally in six months, you get promoted to the next level, E2. E2 is a uh, private first class. So it's like an additional thing. You got a little bit more leadership behind you, a little bit more experience, obviously, or maybe you could actually control other um, privates. So you're basically at um, E2 level. You still have nobody, but you're getting paid a, an extra $200 more. So then there's the E3. It's another guaranteed one. It's around like a year. Once you get to a year mark, you naturally get to E3 as a whatever it is, or you can get promoted in between, but that's what we get. Uh, so about like a year and a half, you could go from E1 to E3. But after that, in the Marine Corps, it's all work. We, we don't play that game. Like we don't give anything free anymore. You're competing against everybody else in your, in your rank as well as in your industry. So if your industry is radio repair, then you're competing against every other radio repair person in the same rank based off a cumulative, a cumulative amount of information, either it's your physical training tests, your education, your experience, the extra stuff you sign up for, the training you have on the side, the, the ranks that you're getting, all of that's con conducive to getting you different like ranking structures and total numbers to be evaluated. And then for some reason, we used to get this like quarterly book. When that, that thing comes out, we look at it and you know exactly if you fall below it, you're not going to get promoted. But if you fall above those numbers based off the, the average of everybody else in the, the entire um lineage in that group you get you get promoted it's a weird scenario but it's all work so that's when we get to e4 and after that you you compete again to get to e5 and once you get from e5 to e6 you almost have to be recommended by somebody to actually get to e6 and you have to like leadership wise you have to develop that 
So it's just not an easy scenario for, for um, Marines to kind of get, learn themselves through the, the process itself. It's different. Yeah, and so for the Army, we're, we're basically along the same lines. We're slightly different. But from even a lot easier, it's a lot easier. Nah, nah, nah. I ain't gonna <laughs> I say see, I see, I see it. it's, it's calling it what it is. Y'all just be sliding people in. Like, like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> so from, from E1 to E2, it's six months. From E2 to E3, so from private to private first class is one year. Then from private first class to specialist, it is two years. So once you reach two years in service, as long as you haven't messed up, you will get to E4. And from there, it goes, just like Lawrence said, to like a merit slash point-based system where you're no longer competing uh, with the people in your unit. You're now competing with people in the entire army specific to whatever field you go in. So, of course, the way it works to get promoted from E4 to E5, you have to go to a merit board where you have a, a board of senior enlisted, where you answer questions, you say, you yell creeds out and all these other crazy traditions that we do. And then you have to be essentially, like Lawrence said, recommended to be promoted. After you get that recommendation for promotion, then you have to pass the point system. And the point system is essentially like, okay, how bad does the army need an E5 that is a cook? They'll say, okay, we need it really, really bad. So we're going to make the points really, really low. And the way to get points is through marksmanship. How high do you shoot? You're through education level, through courses in the military, uh, through your physical fitness. If you score high enough in, on your physical fitness test, you get points there and it all accumulates. But if the army says, hey, we don't need any E5 cooks, they're going to make the points essentially maxed out to where it's almost impossible to get that promotion until they need them. So they, the big army can manipulate the point system depending on the need for whatever rank it is in that specific job field. And that's for E5 and E6. And once you get to like E7, E8, E9, it's all about recommendations, merits, and it's it goes into a whole bunch of things that I don't necessarily even know about. Years, years, recommendations, merits, and all sorts of stuff. But I guess the only thing I'd add to this, because we didn't tackle it uh, specifically, but at, an officer, even in their first year, like um, I guess that's probably something more interesting for people that's listening to this. They could make as much as three grand versus that an enlisted in their first year would make um, less than $2,000. So this person, the officer in a, um, two years or less are making nearly like $4,000 um, per month versus an enlisted in their first year would be making about like $2,000 per month. Yeah, so and that also... That adds on to if you're enlisted, at least in the army, you live in the barracks until you're E6 or you're married, whichever comes first. Officers, you're never living in the barracks. So you're automatically going to qualify for the housing allowance. You're automatically going to qualify for the food allowance while lower enlisted. Some of them can qualify for the food allowance if they do not eat on post in the uh, DFAC or cafeteria. But they, if they live in the barracks, they do not qualify for that housing allowance. So those things do add on to your basic pay that Lawrence was talking about. And to basically get back to the question earlier, if I, if I suggest to anybody, I always suggest go in as an officer. Go in. Uh, actually, this is my recommendation. Start as National Guard or Reserves. That way you get your benefits. You get your VA home loan benefits. You also get your GI Bill benefits. And you're only working part-time. Go to school full-time. Get that education in four years. Go into the military then. Now you have 
let's just say your degree takes four years. Now you have four years of experience in the military. And now you can come in as an officer because you have a degree. So now you don't come in as a fresh officer. You come in as an officer with four years of experience. And on top of that, you have lived as enlisted for four years. And in my opinion, this is my opinion, I'll fight anybody on it. An officer with four years of enlisted experience is going to be way better than an officer with four years of officer experience because they're going to be able to see through the lens of an enlisted because they actually lived in those shoes. Yeah, they'll be able to communicate better with their entire squad. And you get paid an additional, like what, nearly $600 per month if you did that, the route that James kind of recommended, which is a really good route. Cause I didn't even know that the National Guards could get that VA home loan until my buddy, and when he kept on saying, I'm gonna get a VA home loan, I'm like, ha, bro, I had to damn near die for that thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how you pull this off? He's like, I'm National Guard. Like, that's not even the real thing. It's not even real. <laughs> And lo and behold, he got a home. I'm like, how is this? How is this possible? <laughs> I, I dedicated my life. <laughs> Man, I when I got into basic training, I I when I came into basic training, I didn't even know National Guard existed. And so I came in, they're like, yeah, I'm in the National Guard. I'm like, what's that? They're like, oh, yeah, I get to be in the Army on the weekends or one weekend a month, and I get the GI Bill and go to school full time. I'm like, what? Why did my recruiter yeah, tell me like, about yeah, that, man? Yeah. I, I felt like I was set up. It's weird. I'm looking at him like, how do you get to be at home? I died for this thing. I yeah. gave him some real hard hours. <laughs> like, you're barely there. <laughs> but now that I've experienced I'm not going to be that old guy to say, oh, I did it the hard way, so you got to do it the hard way, too. Hey, I'm, 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 I'm not going to say nothing, but I'm going to still be very salty when I say it. <laughs> Real salty. I, I was like, mm, congratulations. You're going to feel the disrespect for Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> His tone and everything. Yeah, when I be at the airplane, when it, it's like, hey, military people go first, the v, you know, whatever, I'm like, mm. I don't know what you're really doing for that military. <laughs> like, thank you for your service. Mm-mm. Don't tell him that. Like, I don't know what he's really doing. Uh, I think those are good, uh, good points that you brought up. And also with the pay, those are good amounts or great amounts, I think, because, like, they're covering housing and food, too. So it's like, that's all yours. Like, you know, in the real world, like, you have to account for just your salary. Like, okay, I got to do housing out of this and everything else. But you know, for the military, like they're covering housing, giving us stipend for food and all that. That's, yeah. So essentially that's, good, that's around like three grand, anywhere from like three grand a month, depending on where you live in. So yeah. you're getting on top of that, you're just getting your money. So you're really living the way you could be living and also traveling and also getting free dental, that kind of thing. And as well, you can also invest your money into the um, TSP, which is the 401k for the military. So there's a lot of ways you can really make money. And if you go overseas in those places that James brought up, like hazardous pay and stuff like that, that's all tax free sometimes. Mm. So you go in these places like if you're overseas, I think majority of the money is always tax free because you've gone for the military, the, the wartime, so on and so forth, tax free money. Yeah. And your your BAH and your BAS are tax free also. And so you my first year when I got uh, when I was married, you know, I, I probably made everything combined between let's call it 50 and $60,000. And I got my W-2 and that thing said $32,000. I was like, oh, yeah, something ain't not right here. <laughs> but I realized anything and this is for the listeners out there, if you're thinking about joining the military or if you are in the military, and you don't understand this. Anything that has allowance is non-taxed. Anything that says pay is taxed. So you'll see on your LES, it might say base pay. You know you're going to pay taxes on that. It might say 
a bonus pay, you're going to pay taxes on that, but it'll also say housing allowance, which means that's not taxed or allowance for rations. So that is not taxed. So shout out to y'all, man, tax-free baby. <laughs> but to, to emphasize what Eric also said, think about it, right? Military is giving you money for housing. So that cost is out of the window. Military is giving you money for food. So now your grocery bill is out the window, depending on your family size. And they're also paying for all of your health care, all of your medication, all everything that comes with it is completely free. So your base pay is for your car, your car insurance, your cell phone, all of these luxury items that you don't absolutely need to survive. So if you're able to cut those down, maybe not have a car payment, have a paid off car, have lower insurance on it, uh, have a, you know, a, a, a I mean, I'm not going to give up my iPhone, but if you want it like a flip phone, you know, lower that bill, you're going to save much, much more of your pay. And if you're using something like the Roth TSP or Roth IRA, you're not paying any taxes because your tax bill is so low. So go with Roth. You're in the lowest tax. You're in your lowest tax bracket you'll ever be in. I, th I think Terrence still has a flip phone. Is that is that right, Terrence? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, I, 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 I was about to say, don't. I'm about to say, don't knock a flip phone. I wish I still had it. I'm, oh, I no, I ain't it. knocking it. Hey, get your little razor, man. Get your little sidekick. What? Sidekicks with a side? Yeah. yeah. When, we first, when we first met T in college, he had a flip phone. So we used to be like, hey, flipper. <laughs> yeah, I used to have one of those, too. I'm not going to lie. I ain't, ain't going to put them out there by myself. I, I used to have a flip. Hey, like, hey, man, I had that thing for a couple of years after college. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Appreciate y'all uh, explaining the military pay. Like, I've heard, like, very high level, like, okay, E2, E3, E4, but, like, I don't know, like, what that means, how that even works and everything. So I appreciate that explanation. Kind of getting to the final question, uh, what did you all learn uh, in the military that's translated to your finance or personal finance life? And I'll start with Lawrence. Wow, I'm doing that squinting. I'm squinting hard. He's like, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> like, what did I learn? Overall, when it comes to finances, they, they did actually offer some classes because there's always like these extra training that you can do on your own time. You can log on online. They, they, they explain it all the way through. They explain exactly what all your pay is, how you can manage it. You can also go to get your um, taxes done for free in the military as well, because it's available there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff that's, that was available that people just didn't tap into it. But overall, what I, what I think I learned is, is the essence of being resourceful, especially because the Marine Corps wasn't as easy to kind of rank up and level up. I had to figure out that system on its own. I had to, I, I, I was seeing other people get promoted and I was kind of mad about it. I was salty. I went back to the room like I always do. I, cr I crank out the pages. I'm like, this is exactly what I need to do. And in order for me to follow, I had to follow a blueprint. I created my own strategy and I found out, hey, I could definitely be a first class PFT. All I have to do is be, I'm not, I don't have to be a great runner, but I have to great, get the pull-ups, the sit-ups, and my runtime got to be a certain amount. Boom. That's the first class PFT. I got that. And after that, I was able to get all these other um, point um, systems set up. And next thing you know, I was getting promoted faster than anybody else to the point where other people are salty at me. They're getting really mad. So, but I used the same ideology when it came to my personal finances when I built out my net match financial plan. That's the entire reason. I was like, you know what? Well, how other people are getting rich? Let me figure that out. I broke it apart. I, I, I learned as much as possible. I grabbed some random Kiyosaki stuff here, some Dave Ramsey stuff there, some somebody else's stuff here. I just kept on grabbing what was the through line between everything. 
and used and constructed a plan that would work for me. And I was able to see that my wealth, me and my wife's wealth now, we grew like half a million dollars throughout the pandemic, period. All because we followed a, wow. a certain parameter of things to do. I think that's what I, I learned overall from the military, that it is possible but you have to want it for yourself. You got to create these things for yourself, things that make sense for you. You can't just copy somebody else's paper and just imagine yourself to be in their life. That's not your life. Always kind of create something that works for you, see where it goes and, and follow it through, have faith in it and put in the work. Yeah, I want to touch on something that Lawrence just brought up too, which is the finance classes in the military. They do offer finance classes. Some are mandatory, some are optional. Two mandatory classes that I think of, we had a class in our advanced training, essentially on finances. And what I got from the class is don't buy a new car, buy a used car, right? And that was about as far as they went. And the other mandatory class was in order to invest in your thrift savings plan, your 401k, you had to do an online class explaining everything. And it was one of those requirements where you come in on like a Thursday, you sit down during lunch and you'd click through and then answer the questions and then you would never think about it again, never even hear of a TSP again. So that's one of the three things that I learned about finances in the military is like, you have to make it engaging. You have to make it memorable whenever you're trying to emphasize it. You need to think outside the box, show extreme examples to get people thinking and keep them engaged. So that's the first thing I learned about finances in the military. Second thing, that I looked at, I realized, and I had an epiphany. It was like, I'm telling you, it was like I had a tablet and I read it and it was God's word. <laughs> Every single rank in the military had financial problems. Everyone from the E1 who was marrying strippers to the E10 who was getting a divorce, had seven kids and he couldn't afford, he had to get Mary a strippers, multiple strippers? Like, can you Bro, just say listen. Mary, a stripper, man? <laughs> listen, <laughs> I had multiple privates. Married multiple strippers. Okay. So it's <laughs> emphasis on that. But so looking at this, realizing from E1 to E9, everybody's having financial problems. That means one thing the income is not the problem, it is all about the expenses. And when I realized that regardless of how much income you make, you can still have a financial problem. That's when I started going to the expenses. That's when I started going to living below your means and, and, making sacrifices and having delayed gratification. So that was the second thing. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, there are broke doctors out here. There are broke lawyers. They're making $400,000 a year and they're, they're getting their cars repoed. So it has nothing to do with income. It has mostly to do with expenses. But the last thing, which is I think the most important, which goes back to all the stories and all the gripes me and Lawrence have brought up, is finding happiness in life and experiences instead of in items, in materials. Hanging out with friends, doing things that don't cost any money, doing hikes. We call them rucks, but hike is a fun word. Ruck is a word. <laughs> uh, you know, just being outdoors in a, in a crappy tent, you know, finding the happiness in that and not trying to buy your way to happiness. Because when you buy, mm -hmm. when you try to buy your way to happiness, you're going to just run out of money, right? So you have to find happiness outside of materialistic things and go for things like experience, camaraderie, friendships, bonding, and things like that. You know, I'll add to that. I think um, you remind me, I'm older than you, so I forget about my entire experience. I'm like, it's out there somewhere in the background. But ultimately, <laughs> it's, the, it's those conversations you had in these type of, in the field 
or even in the downtime. Downtime being anytime that we're, we're always rushing to get somewhere, but then we get there, we're already there. We just, we have to wait a good 30, sometimes an hour, even two hours before something ever happens. In those times, downtimes when you're eating, where you're sharing resources, where you're talking, you always hear like an older person tell their story about, hey, I, I, um, I'm getting a divorce and I wish I did this better, or I'm trying to build those business. I wish I did this better, or I have this business that I have this side business where I'm doing dry cleaning and I wish I've done this better. So when people say stuff like that, I listen to them. I listen to them, not necessarily to, I, as I said, and then by copying them as much more, you have to listen to somebody when they're speaking. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't do that anymore. They're just kind of, ah, I'm just going to run to the, the whatever it is. They're telling you something because it actually is impacting them right now. And you can avoid that same mistake going down the path if you actually listen. So if, if James was out there talking about, hey, man, I just bought this car and it's terrible for me. And somebody overheard it. I'm like, hmm, interesting. Maybe I, I shouldn't just jump into buying a car next to the, uh, to the, to the base where it's more expensive when the interest is super high. Why? Because other people have complained about it for years. So you can't just keep doing the same mistakes over and over again. Make new ones. It is what's going to be. But at the end of the day, the same mistake that Eric went through, Terrence went through, or even was it? I forget which one of you guys said yeah, I still had like a um, like the storage unit. I'm like, my goodness, this thing was terrible. That's still got the storage unit out here. Like, and I learned from that and I remember. So if somebody else said I, I have a storage unit, I'm like, whoa. I know this guy out there that he had a storage unit and he just had <laughs> he had a code in there that he doesn't use and he spent so much money on it. So we have to be willing to listen to other people and learn as much as possible so that we don't repeat the same errors over and over and over again. We got to do it. Yeah, I love that. I think it's super duper important because, you know, you have to find people who are doing what you want to be doing and replicate them. And so you have two mm-hmm. people out there. You have a person that says, yeah, I bought this car. And I'm still broke. So you should buy the car, too. Well, maybe you don't want to end up like them. So maybe you shouldn't take their advice. But then there's also going to be those people say, yeah, I bought this car. I regret it. Don't do it. And you will not end up where I'm at. And you're like, okay, they're telling me to do the opposite of them because it failed them. And so those Mm -hmm. are the people that you really need to be listening to. And those are the people who really care about you, because although we say that the camaraderie is awesome and, you know, there's so much bonding there are you are going to encounter people in the in the service whether it's army navy marines that don't have your best interests at heart it again there are going to be those bad people so you need to you need to identify who those people are who are those selfish people that only care about themselves and do the complete opposite of them and don't take any advice from them because they they do not have your best interests at heart it's the same thing as listening to some family members too. Some family members are like, mm, your life is all types of jacked up. Why am I listening to you? <laughs> like, I'm gonna do exactly the opposite. I got a, I got an uncle. I'm like, man, last time I remember you have a substance abuse problem. I'm not listening to you at all in life. <laughs> it's not where I want to end up. Uh, and hey, so, hey, but he might listen to this one day. I hope he does. <laughs> he knows why I don't have it. Like, <laughs> I looked at you as a kid and I did the squinty eye. It didn't look too good. <laughs> maybe if he's telling you uh, to not do drugs, maybe at that point you'd be like, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just the way that sometimes you, you really have to vet out, you know, your company, the company you keep, or especially the family that you have too. Sometimes family uh, impart on you their own um, financial trauma, their own errors. That's why they say something like, oh, I don't bank. 
I'm like, mm, I don't know. A lot of people bank, like, but maybe they had a bad issue with the bank. I don't use credit cards. I'm like, can you slow that down? Tell me why you don't use credit card. Why are you so mad when you just said that? Like, what's the story <laughs> behind that? And that's more interesting. I bought a home and this is the wildest thing. I bought a home. I was super happy about it. And I, th- I made a great decision because I kept it really low. But later on, maybe like maybe six, seven months later, my sister hit me. You know, we were talking and she's like, yeah, I bought a home and it's underwater. I'm like, so why didn't you tell me anything? Like, why you tell me before I purchase a home that I could be, you know, <laughs> I could be, you know, putting myself in danger that like you put yourself in danger too. It's almost like you watched me the entire time right. and said nothing. Like, I feel like that happens a lot in our community. Like, like you, you said nothing. You just, so what were you waiting yeah. for? So, me, so you should be like, whoops, I told it. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> happened to me too. <laughs> My bad. I come you to ask me about this ahead of time. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> I didn't even know, you know, like the way she makes it seem a lot of times when your friends, family, whatever, they make everything seems okay. But you need to share things that don't work out for you because then it'll make a little bit more sense. It'll pepper the story to say, you know what? Make sure you don't buy a house that's overpriced, especially in 2021 or 2020, where prices are going crazy and people are just jumping in and they're buying houses sight unseen. I'm like, that doesn't sound weird to you, like sight unseen. And, like, and then you get mad, like, oh, I was trapped into this house. No, you weren't. You jumped into this house and sight unseen. <laughs> like, doesn't make any sense to me. So we have to be willing to challenge each other and share that information, and especially when things don't work out. Do you think we don't want to, I guess, say anything because we're embarrassed, or think it's just that's the embarrassment. That's, it's, that's it's embarrassment. It's almost selfishness too, like in the sense, like you, yeah, misery loves company. Is that that old saying? Yeah, uh, yeah. In a way, you kind of she probably like squinted and was like, hmm, maybe I should tell him, but. Hmm, I kind of want the company as well. So we <laughs> won't be as miserable about this housing you know, situation. So I think mm-hmm. it's up to us to really do the right thing. And that's why I love to share information on my IG, on my website. And I think that's why all of us love to share anything on the podcast. Because at the end of the day, we don't want people to suffer unduly. We don't want them to make mistakes that we made in the past. We want them to improve. We want them to get better. And it doesn't make any sense to me. To this day, I'm looking at her like, why didn't you tell me anything? before that like at all like, <laughs> just felt the need to just like watch me fail like if i if i would have failed so you could say hmm see it happens to all of us <laughs> it happens to them too yeah i think and i think another thing is what people don't quite understand is that silence can be harmful if you see mm-hmm. someone about to do something that could harm themselves and you say absolutely nothing that is the equivalent of doing them harm so a lot mm-hmm. of people say, well, I didn't tell them to do it. So you can't blame me. Yeah, but you didn't tell them not to do it. So it's like you saw them about to make a mistake or something that you might have foreseen as a as a mistake. And if you love them, you have an absolute duty to share your opinion, whether they like it or not. 100%. And so that's what I think people are afraid of nowadays is like because nobody wants to be a hater. Nobody wants to be that guy who is just like, oh, I don't think you should start a business, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you say like, okay, you're about to start a business selling, you know, I don't know, astronaut suits and nobody wants to buy them, it is your job to at least voice your opinion and say, hey, look, I don't think it's a good idea. Here are some of the things that happened to me when I tried to sell astronaut suits. So you should look out for them also. But instead, they're, they're, shamed, they're shamed that they failed and so they'd rather be silent. And I think silence in that instance can be extremely harmful. Remind me of all the MLM people. Oh, <laughs> I called it out. MLM people be like, mm-hmm. 
Like, I, I know y'all got burnt, but y'all ain't gonna say nothing. Y'all were the big ones that y'all were in the suits, the conferences, the cars. Like, I still remember. Do you remember? Because I remember. <laughs> I'm petty that way. I was about to say, you sound petty, man. <laughs> I'm, built, I'm, I'm built so petty. I'm like, yeah. Can we talk about your MLM experience? <laughs> You said nine to five was for suckers. <laughs> like, so what are you doing now? Living at the mom's place? Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, you're terrible, man. Cold, cold. Uh, I, I'm still waiting for some people. I'm like, uh, whatever you're going to post something, like, what's going on with the MLM? <laughs> what's going on? Like, I don't know what. Like, hey, my, my kid is graduating high school. What's going on with the MLM? You want to stay silent. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, we appreciate all the information y'all share for us. First of all, thank you for your service as well. Thank you very much for your service. Where, 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 can, where can people find y'all? I am Gen Z Money across all the platforms. Gen Z M-O-N-E. You can find me on the interwebs as the neighborhood finance guy. <laughs> the entire the entire word all the way through me. I'm pretty sure somebody's going to misspell it, but it's the neighborhood finance guy. So you can find me <laughs> on the website, got the IG. And sometimes I'm on, on Twitter, you know, talking smack because I'm still petty. I'm Dade County. I'm from Miami Dade and we, we love to poke <laughs> fun at people. So, hey, all my haters, I'm still at y'all. I'm, I'm going to be at y'all neck. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. <laughs> Every time the, you pod- succeed. Huh? the podcast name? Oh, yeah. The podcast is The Financial Grill. We out there, me and two other co-hosts, we love to discuss financial stories and share those stories all over the place. And we'd love to have you guys come back on at any time, anytime. Because we literally love to cook out and just, you know, really enjoy the time and space because there's not a lot of black faces. And to be very frank about it, in the financial literacy space nor these conversations are very welcome in our community. Sometimes people just don't know we can have a good time with money. It doesn't have to be this uh, negative experience at all. It could just be a lot of good fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. Well, what about you, James? Gen Z Money? Yep, the Gen Z Money podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, I got the Instagram, Twitter, and all that good stuff. And this guy's tall too. I, I met him at FinCon. Oh man, this guy's tall as heck, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hating on that too. I'm a little guy. I'm, I'm, I'm hating. I'm guy. hating on that too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like hey, when you stand next to a tall person, man, you got like more more height than you need. Like, more. <laughs> Sprinkle a little bit. Sprinkle. It's, a little it's little unnecessary. Bit. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Unnecessarily tall. <laughs> They're like six four or something like that. Like, what the hell you need this yeah. thing for? It's a waste that of time, boy. man. Like. Put the rest of us something like put on some flats or something. Walk around with no shoes. Down. Well, tell him, tell him to give me some of his hair. You know, it, there, right. there it is too. Right? <laughs> hey, I'm losing it, y'all. Y'all don't know how I'm losing. Right. Hey, oh, cat man. game, cat game. Let's get my, it. My wife is already telling me. She's like, oh man, you don't borrow time, Eric. <laughs> 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 hey, hey, my wife so is saying the same thing. It's like you need to cut it all. When, uh, when, yeah. when, when will be the time when you cut it all off? Like seriously, why do you wish that on me? Why'd yeah, I'm like, don't like, wish that on me. But no, it's funny. Uh, it's funny. My mom from birth, she said, "I knew." She said, "I knew your hair was gonna like you were gonna receive." Wow. I was like, "Man, from birth." <laughs> 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 she, 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 she out there I was like, it on you, I was like man. man yeah why you put that on me 
And she out here like, Mm-mm, my son's gonna receive his hair. Like, yeah, hey. why would you do this? My, my, my family's cold hearted, man. We tell the truth. So he looked at you, she talked to you too. He's like, your hair is not gonna be. Yeah, like, she said, yeah, I, I knew when you were born, your hair is gonna receive. I'm like, what kind of conversation are you having with me? <laughs> like, like yeah. at six months, he's like, mm, yeah, mm, mm, mm. Mm-mm-mm. Well, you like, me you're gonna wear glasses. They're like, what? <laughs> Where is this coming from? Right. <laughs> oh no, man. man! Appreciate y'all on, man. Uh, oh, I know news for today. It seems like the student loan forgiveness thing has been temporarily halted or paused or something like that. Yeah, so, man. I blame Dave Ramsey for that. Be away. <laughs> I'm calling out right now, man. Hey, he 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 got on. He was so mad too. He couldn't. He was hating hard, like, man. He was hating. <laughs> he was mad. Like he was in. He was with his daughter, uh, and his daughter was trying to keep it more PC. He coming in the corner like, no, no, student loans, the worst thing ever. I'm like, damn, bro. Because I know, like, for the longest, he was like, nothing's gonna happen. Nothing's gonna happen. Like they're not coming. They're not gonna help. Yeah. And I guess this kind of blows back in the face. But <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to kind of uh, clear that up with people, especially from an accountant standpoint. This is merely a bad debt expense. The money is already oh. been spent. Yeah, the money has been spent. It's weird because the way the society or even the news media or how people interpret it is like it's free money that people are get. It's not free money. The money has already been given and the money mm-hmm. has already been spent. This thing mm-hmm. is basically like a bad debt expense, which is like in credit card terms, when somebody cannot eventually pay, they just write, you know, write it off. Right. A lot this of times, a, very common that, thing. a lot of people that have been paying student loan have been paying way more than the, the, the amount they borrowed upwards to maybe almost like three times the amount, depending on the interest, depending on the amount of capital or the principal of your loan. So a lot of people were on un- track to even uh, default. Default is even worse because you don't get any money anyway. So this is just merely bad debt expense off of people's um, balance sheets. Um, it's off the, the person. It's not real cash that you're getting. If you're down 10 grand anyway, you're done. If you were um, somewhere like 80, 80K, you'd be down to 60. You're still going to be paying. You're still gonna have mm-hmm. that, but it's just gonna give you a little bit more reprieve. That in the end of the um, in the end of the the day, every month you wouldn't be paying as much as you were last time. That's all they were saying. But I think people overtook the message. People overtook the idea of it and the fundamentals. And I get it. We want to hold people accountable for the promises that are made and are keeping. But at the end of the day, it's not as bad as people think it is. It's merely an opportunity for some people to breathe especially in black and brown communities that are primarily the recipient of these student loans because we don't have a lot of backing from their families growing up. And a lot of times we're the ones carrying the most amount of student loans from overall. This is actually not a this terrible thing. It's an opportunity for people to just jumpstart their lives. That means mm-hmm. have, have homes, buy homes, buy products, and have kids. All of that puts into back into the GDP. So we need people to get off student loans and get back into the GDP so we could grow the community and uh, grow the, the nation at overall. But great, other people didn't point. like it. So boo, Dave Ramsey. Oh, well, Dave, 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 Dave. <laughs> <laughs> great points. He, he, he don't like me though. He don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> Does he know you? <laughs> I don't think he knows me at all. But, <laughs> but, but to be honest, to be honest though, on Twitter or something, if you write something that's like, you know, just challenges some of his positions, he will block you. Or at least his team. Maybe not him specifically, but his team will block yeah. you. So, oh. hey, he, he yeah. don't play those games, man. He'll block you. <laughs> <laughs> he don't like that. Hey, we, we want to we want to thank you all again. Uh, do you have anything to say before uh, before we leave? Shout out to my mom. She's a G. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 happy, happy Veterans Day to all those veterans yeah. who have served, and thank you for your service. We appreciate it. I would also say for anybody that's thinking about joining, it's actually not as bad as it is. It's a great opportunity. You could really kind of learn a lot from the world, from other people. You could travel the world a bit. You could also create, you know, generational wealth in a different way, especially if you don't know what you're doing right out of high school. A lot of us don't. It's not a bad opportunity to go in, get some abs, get some ladies and, you know, do what we do. Veterans for life. <laughs> get some abs, get some ladies. <laughs> Married to strippers. You know, <laughs> yeah. no. why not? <laughs> listen, listen, I say this the service is what you make of it. So, if you self inflict harm, i.e., marrying strippers, <laughs> you're going to have a harder time. It is what it is, but it is what you make of it. So, if you go in with a positive mentality, that's what you're going to get out of it. And if you think, if you go in hating it, that's what you're going to get out of it, just like everything else in life. Man, uh, the enlistment, as soon as this uh, episode drops, is going to go through the roof. For real. Like, I can go marry a stripper. Like, <laughs> That's all I got from the whole entire episode. <laughs> I learned nothing. I learned nothing from this experience. Strippers and words. <laughs> all right. Well, um, from Eric and Terrence and me, BFI, thank y'all very much. Appreciate y'all, man.